to World War Three here on February 24th. <laughs> I forgot what day it was. February yeah. something. So did you have a like particularly good day on Tuesday? Everyone was like, it's an angel number because it was 2-22-22. No. I was like, it's a Tuesday, and uh, it feels like a Tuesday, <laughs> and not a fun way. <laughs> yeah, I was at work, so. Uh, <sighs> Me too. No. Welcome to the Spooky Succubus cast for another edition. Uh, this is an anti-racist, anti-capitalist. Anti-war-ist. Anti-war. <laughs> Sorry, I forgot word. Uh, intersectional feminist podcast about horror movies. And I'm your host, Abby. I'm also a host here. My name's Rebecca. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, We're naturals behind the mic. So good at (laughs) making words with my mouth. (laughs) So much charisma, it hurts me. Charisma, uniqueness, Uh... nerve, and talent. (laughs) For sure. So today we're talking about one of my favorite horror movies ever, which is like, I have seen this a lot of times, which is unusual for me because I never see any movies, uh, but I definitely saw this in high school and have seen it like, I don't know, five to seven times since. It's one of my favorites. Five to seven times. I'm not sure of the exact figure. Uh, did I say it? Five to seven times, yeah. No, oh, the movie. movie oh, last podcast or last podcast on the list. Oh! <laughs> that was on purpose. Last oh! house, house on the left. On the left. Yeah, we did. We did it. We got there. Uh, this is Wes Craven's directorial debut. Okay, so what I didn't know about Wes Craven was Apparently that he was trying to make pornography, and they he were was like, in porn. He's like a porn guy. Yeah, yeah. and. Corn, as they say on TikTok. I didn't know that. Fascinating. Kind of love Am it. Am I on... I'm kind of on, like, porn actor TikTok. Has that you happened are? to you before? No, that sounds yeah, just fun. Like, I want to be there. I don't know. I end up in weird spots on TikTok. Yeah. I'm not, definitely deep in book TikTok. I just keep screenshotting. Oh, I'm on book talk, too. Yeah. Like, I, I want to read, like, read that. I want to read that. Furiously, uh, furiously screenshotting like switch over to my goodreads wait you don't use your goodreads right i just started using it because i want to read oh my god my goal I this year befriend you mine is 48 books okay mine is kind of crazy and unhinged because i want to go balls to the wall all the way out plus i want half of them to be graphic novels which go super fast so i want to read 80 right. books this year so far i've read Whoa. four <laughs> so we're i on. have read where am i at in my reading challenge all I care about. I have read 12 books for the year so far. Jeepers. See? I'm way behind. But whatever. I'll get there. I'm five books ahead of schedule. I didn't make it last year. I read 41 of 50 and I was upset. (gasps) Scandal. Um, Anyway. To find you. Friends. I have 11 friends. I think I can make room for another. Do you? Really? I have zero. Uh, So today is... Uh, not about books, though, unfortunately. Today's about rape. Oh, trigger warning. Yeah, trigger warning. There is sexual assault, a lot of kinds of assault, just general assault. But it's, a uh, yeah, an extremely disturbing movie. And while I was looking at it, the 70s was a really weird time in film because 
There was like black exploitation movies, sex exploitation movies, which I guess I knew about, but not to the extent that like there was a movie called Deadly Weapons where the actor uh Sorry, did you my text I did, distract you? I did. Uh the <laughs> the like starring actor's name was uh Chesty Morgan and she like murders people with her large breasts. I that it sounds was like me. It was crazy. She was like a Polish American actress and like Googling immediately. Chesty Morgan and Deadly Weapons. And then uh the the director was Doris Wishman, who like made porn, first made sex exploitation movies and then made porn. It was like I was like, this is fascinating. I wanna maybe that is watch so crazy. some sex exploitation movies because they well, like Chesty Morgan does have big boobs. It was like the she held the record for like the largest the actor with the largest bus measurement in film history. Oh yeah. What a horrible record to hold for your back. She made it work for her. I mean, yeah, I'm, she's still alive. She's in her eighties. Oh my god, Chesty. That's uh, crazy. So, and this falls into like sort of rape exploitation. It's like violence exploitation. Yeah, totally. But I still, it's still pretty great. And I kind of, yeah, it's like one of my favorites. Okay. So, Chesty Morgan, I'm fully obsessed. Love her. Yeah. Yeah. She's 84, living in, I think, Florida or something. Tampa Bay, Florida. Like, wild. I hope she's great. I hope she's having a great time. Yeah. Okay, here's the tagline for Deadly Weapons. <clears throat> Watch the mob get busted. I watched Chessie the trailer. Revenge. <laughs> is it amazing? It's amazing. It's yeah, like a yeah, like a crime like moxie crime film and she's just oh, like coming up it. to men and smothering them with her breasts. It's amazing. Yeah. I loved it. I feel like I mean, I think we talk about the like conflation and like overlap of like sexiness and scariness and death so much but like i don't know maybe Wes craven should have leaned into it and just made porn horror genre but like in a fun way and not in a like tortury way not in this way yeah this way is like i cried at the at, this is a really disturbing it's really movie. disturbing yeah so we will put a content warning when we post um on the, the RSS feed, which we always do in a timely manner. So definitely <laughs> stay tuned. <laughs> yeah. But maybe as a palate cleanser, I'll watch Deadly Weapons because it looked pretty funny. I, uh, yeah. Uh, we could do it for a bonus. Feed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like a thriller crime story, sort of horror. Oh my God. I'm saving this photo so that I remember to post it on. The, although I do that all the time and then I still don't remember to post things on the Instagram. I know. Just there was. One thing that we were talking about last episode that I was like, It was the movie Strike. That movie. Oh, yeah. Okay, yeah. We yeah. should put it somewhere. I don't know where. No one cares. No okay, one cares. So. <laughs> Google it yourself. Right, so, I don't know. Yeah. Google's free. <laughs> For now. Bum, don't, bum, bum. yeah, burden us with your education, except, like, we are talking at you. <laughs> so, and we chose to be here. <laughs> All right. So we see a view of a serene rural scene. Popular girl Mari, oh sorry, Mary. I just want to say Mari because I think Mari is cooler because it's spelled M A R I. I, you Mary know why? Collingwood. We'll get to it later, why? but it's it's spelled that way for a reason. A reason. A reason. A reason. 
<laughs> Popular girl Mary Collingwood showers and gets ready. It's her 17th birthday, and she is going to a concert. Mary's father, Dr. John Collingwood, comments on her lack of a bra and the visibility of her nipples as Mary gets ready to leave the Too house. Too much. It was a lengthy Too conversation. Much. It was like, I can see your nipples. But he did seem like anatomically genuinely concerned it was just like a lot to handle but yeah he's a doctor and she says quit being so clinical so it's like i understand it's like a healthy discussion about anatomy but it's too much if my (laughs) dad said the word nipple to me i would cry leave the house i would just like walk until my feet were bloody nubs yeah So, uh, let's see. Oh, she's going to see Bloodlust, the band. Is that a real band? I didn't Google it. I didn't Google it. I'm not sure. Maybe. Let's see. And she gets a peace sign necklace from her parents for her birthday. The venue is in the city in a, quote, bad neighborhood. And Mary is going with Phyllis Stone and says she'll be safe with Phyllis because she lives in that neighborhood, which she calls a slum. Uh, Mary's mom doesn't trust Phyllis because she's from a working class family and has possibly had sex like once. Um, when they Iron meet and steel Phil- is like my yeah, favorite. Yeah, this is the best joke. When they meet <laughs> Phyllis, she asks what her what business her parents are in. And she says, the iron and steel business. My mother irons and my father steals. It's a good joke. It's so good. The dialogue in this movie is sort of brilliant in a very unhinged, confusing way. This is what we texted, like... It was like the dialogue is so yeah like fast and smart and yeah like has like it's just like other Wes Craven movies where it's like feels real but like with a bizarre twinge yeah it to feels it. it feels real but like something's just a little bit off a little yeah. uncanny yeah uncanny that's the word okay so Phyllis and Mari go into the woods where Phyllis has stashed some booze. They walk around and drink, and Mary expresses that she feels like a woman for the first time in her life because of her nipples. Bum, bum, um, bum. They get in the car and drive, and a broadcast comes over the radio about the escape of two murderers from a local prison. The driver of the getaway card was Junior Stilo, the son of escapee Krug Stilo. Krug was serving a life sentence for the murder of a priest and two nuns. The second escapee is Fred Weasel Podowski, who was a child molester, <laughs> peeping Tom, and assaulter. They were accompanied by a young woman whose name isn't known, but she's described as young, strong, and animal-like. I She doesn't Which, exude any of those it, qualities it, later in the film. She doesn't have any of those qualities. Like, yes, she, I guess she's young. She is super fast. Like, watching her run is crazy because she's super light on her feet. So she's like, boing, boing, boing. Yeah, she's got, like, two, but like, sticks for legs. She's, like, bounding through the woods, like, Gumby. Is it because her hair is big? I don't know. She looks like a popsicle. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she does. Cake pop. <laughs> Cut to Weasel and Sadie in an apartment where they're hiding out. I guess it's Sadie's apartment. Krug and Junior return. Oh, and also Junior is supposedly he's been uh, intentionally hooked on heroin so that Krug, his father, can control him. Uh, So Krug and Junior come back and Junior goes into the bathroom where Sadie is having a bath and they have an exchange (laughs) where Sadie tells him what she wants her name to be when they're on the run. And then he's she says, what do you want to be? And he says, a frog. (laughs) It's like really funny. (laughs) It's so sweet and so sad. Why is he so good at frog noises? Like, I can't do it. 
No, I don't know if you're gonna try when I there's a microphone recording my mouth noises. Um, Mary and Phyllis get ice cream and they look for someone that's holding and come across Junior on the stoop of his building. They go up to the apartment. No, don't don't ever do, do that. Never no. do that. Uh, and then realize they're trapped. Krug rewards Junior with heroin for bringing them up, and they essentially uh, group rape and assault uh, Phyllis. Mm-hmm. Um, where am I at? Oh, meanwhile, the Collingwoods are having, like, a bunch of goofy scenes of decorating the house for Mary's birthday and making her so And it's really cute. (sighs) The next morning, the anti-Scooby gang load Mary and Phyllis into the trunk of their car and head out. Um, the Collingwoods elsewhere realize Mary never came home and get worried. Uh, the gang drives through the woods, and Weasel wonders aloud how they ended up taking the girls and getting into the sex crime business and regrets not becoming a plumber, which is fair. Plumbers make a lot more money. Yeah, um, and are a lot. I mean, there's danger in plumbing, sure. Yeah, but you, like, you don't, there's no murder in plumbing. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. If you're plumbing. If like, you're snaking you're out, uh, <laughs> who was it who, like, tried to shove human body parts down the drains, and then that's how they found him? Isn't that Dennis Nielsen? I think it might be, yeah. And then, he's like, <laughs> yeah. no, he's like, it's chicken. Not... <laughs> the KFC. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's not an ideal plumber job, but that can't happen right. more than, like, once in a career. Once or you know? twice, Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and then their theme song plays, which I love. Um, oh my David, God. David Hess, who plays Krug, also did the um, score for this movie. And um, is like a established composer. And also, unfortunately, kind of hot. He's like kind of hot. It's like he's got like really luscious curly hair and a big nose. So cute. He's really hot. Yeah. He plays this. He's a method actor, which we'll talk about a little later. Uh, absolute psycho. Yeah, not good. No. Um, terrifying. Who who you texting over there? Adam texted me and he said I timed dinner poorly and it's like done. <laughs> I was Aww. like, well, I'm not, I'm not done. I'm sorry. Okay, bada bing, bada boom. Uh, okay, they get their, their theme song plays, which we will put on the Instagram. I am not going to sing it, but it's really cute. Uh, and then, meanwhile, the sheriff has been called and is eating Mari's birthday cake. Okay? What the fuck? Deputy Harry arrives and says there's no sign of Mary uh, in the city, and he asks for some of the birthday cake. Dicks. Meanwhile, the gang's car breaks down, and they let the girls out of the trunk, and Mary sees that they're in front of her own house. They are right outside, oh, I just said, <laughs> I was just about to say they're right outside of her home, but that's what I just said. <laughs> you just said it. It's okay. Sorry. Okay, I'm really excited. Um, they lead the girls into the woods, and the cops leave the Collingwoods, drive right by the abandoned car run by, or driven by the gang, and say it's not worth checking out. Wes Craven is, and has always been anti-cop, except anti-cop. I guess for Dewey. Uh, Dewey's, yeah, he he's so ineffectual, comes out the other side. I still think he's for the people. He always kills the cops. Cops always die in West Craven. Yeah. Just love it. Um, yeah. People under the, people under the stairs. Mm-hmm. This Scream movie. 4. Oh, yeah, I forgot. It. Well, I just saw it, like, for the first time. Seth Cohen dies. I mean, Adam Brody. And Anthony Anderson gets stabbed in oh, the yeah. forehead. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Okay, a mere feet away, Krug tells Phyllis to pee her pants or they'll hurt Mary. She does it, and then she takes the pants off at Krug's instruction. He tells her then to hit Mary, but Junior gets upset and tells them to tell, or tells Krug to have them make it with each other instead, which is just such a weirder, grosser way of say, saying to have sex. Make it. Yeah, it's like an old 70s. It's like make it with when each they're... other. But the because this film was like had such a low budget and they did it guerrilla style where they didn't get any permits. The, they were just like fucking fake fucking in the woods. Yeah. Well, no. It. Lucy Grantham, who plays Phyllis, actually peed her pants. For the oh yeah, scene. yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is like um, still kind of embarrassing and terrible. I feel like it's a little embarrassing, but I would also happily do it it's if like, I was in a movie. Gotta go. Yeah. Yeah, like. She kind of looked like she was really peeing when you look at her face while it's happening. <laughs> she had like a concentration She's on like, her face. Uh. Mm-hmm. Uh, Krug undresses the girls and Phyllis comforts Mary while they perform sexual acts on each other at knife point. Uh, Krug goes into the car in search of something to cut firewood with to heat things up, which, like, I don't know what that means. Like, are you going to set people on fire? I think that was the plan. Yeah. Are you cold? And leaves Weasel in charge. Phyllis gets Weasel's permission to put her clothes back on and makes a run for it. And then Junior is left to watch Mary while Weasel and Sadie chase Phyllis. Mary tries to win Junior over by giving him her necklace and renaming him Willow and says that she can get him a fix. It kind of works, but not exactly. Not really. Um, Meanwhile, the cops are playing checkers and get a radio report that the fugitives are nearby. They literally facepalm when they realize they passed the fugitive's car outside of the Collingwood's house and get in their car to go take care of it. Sadie catches up with Phyllis, but Phyllis manages to hit her with a rock and get away. They give chase, and Phyllis is slowing down and getting tired. She makes it to the cemetery, nearly to the road, and can see cars passing, but Krug, Sadie, and Weasel surround her, which is absolutely fucking chilling. Terrifying. <laughs> like, when they're, yeah. they're just coming from every direction. Uh, meanwhile, the cops run out of gas and start walking. Weasel, Sadie, and Krug stab Phyllis to death and ultimately disembowel her, which, uh, fun fact, condoms filled with... Fake blood. Fake blood. Yeah, so Look, nasty. Looked real. Junior is having an existential crisis and decides to help Mary, but then they end up running straight into Krug, and Mary learns that they killed Phyllis when they show her Phyllis's disembodied hand, which obviously was moving and still attached to a person. (laughs) And then the hand that flops on the ground is, like, so Is, like, white. Yeah, it's, like, (laughs) a man's white hand, yeah. The cops try to catch a ride, but are called pigs and given the finger instead. Fair. Love it. I would have done it myself, Yeah. (laughs) Krug carves his name into Mary's chest and sexually assaults her, which is a disgusting scene. And apparently they like he really hated her because she was like struggling in this shoot and like not hitting her marks and shit. And to the point where this scene like upset the assistant director and like upset everyone so much to watch it get filmed because they were like, yeah, David has like really fucking hates this woman (laughs) Sandra Peabody yeah yeah and that he's like you see like him like holding her arms down up close and then you're just up close on their faces and he's like slobbering on her her. yeah it's disgusting yeah Uh, afterwards Mary vomits says a prayer and walks into a nearby lake where Krug shoots her to death 
the Collingwood's dog hears the gunshots, which is, like, it's so, like, much of a head fuck how close in time and space this is all happening, you know? Yeah, I love that dog. Me too. The cops are struggling, but they manage to hitch a ride on a chicken truck's roof. Unfortunately, (laughs) they slide off when the truck starts moving, and Ada, the driver, will not negotiate with him. Uh, I, yeah, I have some remarks about her characterization but her attitude is spot on Love it. generally um generally bad. like yeah bad but also she didn't negotiate with terrorists it's true yeah the c- uh they realize oh sorry the gang cleans up the lake and head unknowingly to mary's house where they tell the collingwoods their car broke down did this just happen in the 70s the collingwoods offer to just let them stay the night what that's what doing? i said you just waltz into other people's houses and are like hey can i stay here like no can i, I eat wouldn't... your spaghetti and chug your wine no uh, then later they realize they're in Mary's house. Um, meanwhile, the cops are still walking very slowly to the Collingwood home. Uh, the gang and the Collingwoods have dinner, but Junior needs his fix and is in the other room dreaming of the murders and crying. He spends the night vomiting, which wakes Estelle, Mary's mother. She checks on him, sees the peace sign necklace around his neck, and becomes suspicious. So she walks him back to their room. And looks in their suitcase in the guest room next door and finds their bloody clothes. And then she overhears Junior talking about killing Mary and dumping her body in the lake in the next room. She and John put on their activity clothes. <laughs> Activate. They, they put on their active turtlenecks and wa- uh, sneak out of the house into the woods where they find Mary's body, which is very much alive in this shot. <laughs> She's very alive, and they are so calm. They're just like, we can't do anything for her. They're like, well, and I guess uh, we'll get down to business. Now it's time to so murder. So they decide to take revenge and murder and this is when I really, like, really start loving the movie because they go absolutely, like, MacGyver mode. They are not fucking kidding around. There, Yeah, there's wires, traps, shaving cream on the floor. Chainsaws, yeah. like, there's gadgets and gadgets. Uh, so Weasel wakes up after a bad dream, wanders the house, and finds Estelle in the living room where she seduces him. She convinces him to go outside while John booby traps the house and grabs his rifle. Outside, Estelle bites Dick's, the weasel's dick off and leaves him to bleed out outside. She like, still has to you put just, his dick in her mouth. He's like, Yeah, like it's like 10 seconds of cunnilingus before. Or fellatio, fellatio, yeah. Excuse me. Wrong, wrong part. Oh. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, and it's gross. So um, gross. But she does get his dick stuck in her, the zipper, which is a fun little detail. It's like, oh, poor little guy. But she goes from being just like a meek woman, making a birthday cake, like living her life, and suddenly she is berserker mode, biting someone's dick off. Full I really dick bite her, so. mode. Love her. Yeah. She's goals for sure. His screams wake up Krug and Sadie, who see John holding his rifle on them. Uh, Krug pulls the lights switch in the room, uh, and he and John, I don't know exactly what happens. He slips on the shaving cream. They Whatever. He and John end up in the living room, and they're, like, tussling. Krug tells John how tough Mary was and calls him a pussy while he continues beating the shit out of him. Junior arrives holding a gun to Krug and threatening to kill him. 
Krug tells Junior to do it and calls him a loser when he can't, and then finally convinces Junior to turn the gun on himself and kill himself, which is sad. So scary. Hold on, I need to readjust. After these messages. Okay. Meanwhile, the doctor has gone to grab his chainsaw and then forces Krug to go to the front door where he's electrocuted by the booby trap. They continue to face off as Sadie runs outside but is stopped by Estelle. They tussle, but Sadie gets away and either falls or jumps into the pool. It's unclear. Uh, On her way out, she's cornered and stabbed to death by Estelle. And then the sheriff arrives right as John kills Krug. And then Estelle and John hold each other. And the uh, movie concludes. Credits roll. Kind of like... Uh, fun credits. They're like, bing, 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 and everyone's like, yeah. Uh, what a movie! I, it's, I love this movie. Uh, it's so scary, sinisterly happy. Uh, definitely has the markings of later Craven. Um, for sure. But it's so like gritty, and like you said, they shot a gorilla style, so. It's super raw, super scary. Like, I think this is one of the scariest movies ever because, like, the proximity of being so close to your home and so close to civilization yet so out of control uh, is so scary. And Krug is, like, one of the greatest horror movie villains of all time. Um, Yeah, he's really scary. Yeah, he's, like, him constantly shouting at everyone and, like, yeah, he's just so, like sort of charming and charismatic is also really scary um yeah so uh so apparently he so like i said david hess was a method actor um which is just men giving themselves an excuse to be an asshole permission to be like horrible to women so he apparently um Sandra Peabody is, like, very young when she's in this movie. She has a difficult onset experience because she has, like, traditional theater training. And when she comes onto set, the script is, like, not all the way fleshed out. They don't have, like, set locations. They're sort of, like, doing this on the fly. So she, like, really struggles to mesh with, like, the situation. Uh, So Hess singled her out from the rest of the cast and cast and apparently was, like, very very cruel to her compared to Lucy Grantham, who plays Phyllis, and Jeremy Rain, who plays um, Sadie. Sadie. And just for fun, look up what weird-looking children Jeremy Rain and Richard Dreyfuss made. It's, it's <laughs> oh, yeah, it was, I meant to do that. It's like, <laughs> they had three kids, right? So, well, yeah, they have three kids. While in character, Peabody told um, an interviewer, I think in like 2009, that Hess would chase her with a knife at night, and then when they were getting closer to the sexual assault scenes, he would, like, actually grab her breasts and threaten to, like, rape her. And, like, this was off-screen and on-screen, but the um, shot was so disturbing. Assistant director Yvonne Hanneman cried, like, walked away in tears after the shoot. Bartleby didn't like it either. Yeah, um, it's upsetting, Bartles. Yeah, so he basically just used his platform as a method actor to sexually harass and, like, violently, you know, assault. Assault a young co- woman. Co-star. <laughs> and and she... This is, like, the weirdest... 
cognitive dissonance. So Mark Scheffler plays Junior Stilo, and he was a sitcom writer. Did you find this out? Yeah, he wrote for so he like wrote Harry and for the, the Hendersons. Charles in charge. Who's the boss? Harry and the Hendersons. So think of what you're like mind's eye conjures up when you think of those shows and the lightheartedness and then listen to what this man did to to fucking Sandra Peabody. Did you read this one? No, I didn't read this. So Scheffler played Junior and he revealed in an interview much later that he was getting really frustrated because she was doing like a shitty job in a scene and wasn't like portraying the desperation needed and they'd done like a million takes. So he said... She wasn't getting the scene. She wasn't at the anxiety level that she needed to be. And we'd done it I don't know how many times. Everybody was getting annoyed. So I said to Wes, give me a minute with her. What I did was, you can't see it in the shot, but I took her over to this cliff. I put her over the cliff, grabbed her, and said, if you don't fucking get this right right now, I'm going to drop you. And Wes will shoot it, and we'll get a different scene, but it'll work because you'll be fucking mangled. (gasps) Oh, my God. I know! No, and Sandra Peabody obviously hates this movie because she, first of all, thinks she did a terrible job because she was unprepared and, like, a very young actor still getting her bearings. And secondly, was, like, physically and mentally abused by her male co-stars. She was 22 when this movie was shot. And, yeah, it was her... I mean, yeah, she did some like TV series before that. And then she did this and then didn't do did a few other movies in the 70s and then was done. Meanwhile, like, David I Hess cannot. has a, had a career up until his death like not that long ago, but was like a successful composer and acted and he did mm-hmm. the soundtrack for The Hateful Eight. Like he was around. And yeah, like I forgot his name. Frog. Mark Scheffler. Mark Scheffler gets to write for sitcoms. I don't know. It's just like I don't know. Why didn't Wes intervene? Mr. Craven, oh, no. you I have mean, some explaining also, to do. Like, very young, and yeah. uh, that's not an excuse, but, like, I don't know. This is has, like, Kubrick vibes where you basically are just, like, abusing women to get the reaction you want so that you can, like... <laughs> Yeah, say you're making a good movie in which a woman goes insane and like you know struggles. Like it's just wild shit. Sorry, I'm looking at pictures of Chesty Morgan. If I seem distracted, uh, she's the best. She's yeah, my icon. I love her. I hope she's okay. New icon. She's probably fine. Yeah, she's living it up in her 80s, Tampa Bay, Florida. Hopefully, she's not a Republican. Uh, but. What was I going to say? Oh, yeah. And Craven makes, like, uh, Sadie singing, singing in the rain while she's in the bathtub. And A Clockwork Orange had come out a year before this. Mm. Which is also kind of a rapeploitation movie. uh, And has, like, very similar beats. Like, a gang of unhinged white men. I haven't seen it in a long time. Well, yeah, they, like, break into... Or... Break into the house and rape, murder the wife, and then come back to the house. But this is, and then he, then the guy realizes who he's taking care of, and then he like throws him out the window. But right, right, right. This is a remake of an Ingmar Bergman film from 1960, The Virgin Spring, which I watched a clip of. Um, looks intense. What's your assessment? <laughs> 
yeah, so it take pl- takes place in medieval Sweden and is also a rape revenge tale, but more hinges on a father and daughter relationship than like the mother plays a bigger role in this. But a man sends his daughter Karen, spelled K A R I. K-A-R-I-N, like Mary. Kern. Kern. And uh, their pregnant servant to take candles to the church mass. And then along the way um, in Jerry, the servant gets scared, stays at the mill, stays behind at a mill, um, gets accosted by a one-eyed man, um, and then flees, and then comes upon um, Karen getting raped by three uh, herdsmen, two older men and a young boy. And the the young men, or the two older men rape her and kill her. And then the young boy gets upset, tries to bury the body, but then eventually follows the men. And then uh, the herdsmen go back and end up taking refuge at the, da- at the like, dead girl's house. Um, and then when the servant shows back up, she tells her what happens, blah, blah, blah. They get murdered by the father. But it's more about religion and faith because um, she was headed to mass and the father has like a, he murders the rapers, but has like a yeah faith reaction to it, of course. But uh, oh, this article, it's, it's weird. This article I read said that like was trying to say that that movie was more powerful because it was less violent and less about like, I feel like the couple taking revenge in this movie is violent and they kind of flip a switch like nothing, but I don't know. It's like, isn't that everyone's reaction would be anger and I don't know. Yes, it's gratuitous and violent, but I feel like at least women get to take power over something. I don't, the like gratuity doesn't bother me in this movie in the way it does in some other movies that are just like gratuitous violence for the sake of it but I feel like this movie has not like it's like sending a message but it has like substantial scares that and like substantial real world ramifications and like messaging and through lines that kind of like not justify the gratuity but it's like it makes it part of the experience like when you watch like hostile or torture porn movie like that it's sort of like it is what it is. Like, you are getting, like, the experience that has been advertised to you. But this movie has such a good twist. And, like, the way that John and Estelle, like, operationalize their anger and frustration and, like, the lack of attention they're getting from the police. Like, I just love it. It feels like like a very big win for vigilante justice. <laughs> And I feel, and I don't know, I feel like this movie doesn't have something bigger to say. Kind of like hostile. It's like, yes, there's violence happening, but it's not like. But it's like something that could really happen. Right. And you're in not. In a way. But like in the uncanny way that you talk about when you talk about Craven, you know? And it's not like we see the girls for the first 15 minutes of the movie and then they're murdered and it's all about their parents. They share screen time. The the Pretty much half and half, yeah. Yeah, first 45 minutes and the parents the last 45. So it doesn't feel like Mary and Phyllis got fridged in order for their father to pursue this revenge. It feels like a really scary, really real scenario that was happening to young women in the 70s where, Mm -hmm. and it happens to women now and women and queer people and like it's 
like where where white cis men think they can take over and take control and cause violence against them without any repercussions and it felt really yeah real and scary i don't know and Estelle has, like, equal ownership in the justice, like, and revenge they take against the perpetrators. And what I like about Estelle and John is, like, you see them in partnership with each other. Like, yeah. you don't see a hierarchy in their marriage, which is, I think, really unusual for the time. And you see them, you know, come together to, like, seek vengeance for their child. And it just feels like... Yeah, like, I don't think Mary or Phyllis really get fridged at all. Like, Phyllis gets an unfair treatment because of classism less than misogyny, I would say. Yeah, yeah, this movie definitely. I mean, the women in this movie fall into the same set of, like, characters that we normally see. We've got Mary, Virginal, we've got Phyllis the slut, we've got the mom and Estelle, and then a one that we don't always see, I feel like Sadie falls into, like... Uh, sort of tyrannical lesbian character because they use yeah. the D word when um, Phyllis like starts running away. She like gets a shot in at Sadie and she calls her the D word and then like runs off right. and she takes part. Sadie takes part in Phyllis's initial assault, um, seems really interested in the girl sexually uh, and she is villainized for that for sure. Yeah, for sure. And, like, they describe during one of the crosscuts while um, Estelle and John are, like, preparing the birthday party and the girls are sort of, like, traveling with the other, the fugitive gang, uh, you hear Estelle call Mary, like, the princess. And then shortly after Mary's labeled the princess, you see... um, Krug force Mary and Phyllis to have sex and you see that like Mary's inconsolable she's like Mm -hmm. unable to cope and Phyllis has to sort of step into the role of like comforting the princess and like absorbing her pain and her like anguish and kind of like taking it into herself like to make the life of the you know wealthy upper class easier and that's it's also I mean yeah, Phyllis gets the worst treatment. She has to console her, but she's also, like, such a... Like, when they're forced to, like, have relations with each other, like, Phyllis is consoling her actively, and then afterwards she's like, I'm gonna run, and they're gonna chase you, me so you like, can take escape. take care of yourself, yeah. Yeah. And this, especially, yeah, this movie is, like very classist which is like we'll see like a switch in that in the people under the stairs sort of but it's still like he's characterizing poor people as villains like the dinner scene with the spaghetti and the wine is so like they're burping and they're talking with their mouth open it's just yeah. like the class divide is so clear and it's so and you see, poor people like, the disgust, are right are bad drug addicts are inherently bad people and it's yeah and like uh, there is no, they escape from prison, like, they're convicts and criminals, so they're automatically, like, the, it comes over the radio, they are automatically bad people, like, people who have gone to prison equal bad people. Right, and Junior is really never painted as, like, a victim of his father. He's painted as an accomplice, even though the radio announcer literally says, like, oh, Krug 
like basically fed Junior heroin and got him addicted to keep him in control. And he's, yeah, he's also supposed to be really young. It doesn't say, like, the movie doesn't make it clear, you know, it's not like it's his 17th birthday or whatever. We don't know how old he is, but Krug isn't yeah. that old. So, like, he's right. a young person, presumably, you like, want a... To, like, wonder what Krug did to his mother? Because he's like, you're worse than your mother at one point. Uh... Like, what did you do to her? Well, he went, so Krug, over the radio, they say he went to prison for murdering two nuns and a priest. Yes. Which is also an interesting, like, weird side remark on religion. It's a little, panic vibe. Yeah, Yeah, like, he's bad because he murdered, like, the holiest among us. Like, Oh, I feel like you see little, like, lightning flashes of the roots of the satanic panic with the, uh, like, reference to Bloodlust, the band, Mm. when John says, oh, I thought you were the love generation or whatever. Um, yeah, the reference to Krug murdering, like, religious figures. Mary kind of, like, realizes the error of her ways at the end of her life and starts, like, reverting back to religion and praying before she knows she's going to die. So, yeah, I think, I don't know, Wes Craven never really made satanic movies, though. Did he? No, I mean, yeah, it's this and then People Under the Stairs... There is some weird, uh, you know, I mean, he's like got the gimp outfit. That was, I feel like there was some religion in there that Fucking, I mean, you can't I will really never remember. That, that gimp oh outfit. I want to watch that movie again. So good. Uh, so, but it, I mean, eyes, yeah, right. The hills have eyes. features, Nightmare on Elm Street, Obvi, but none of these are super like straight ahead like satanic possession movies yeah oh man i kind of forgot about red eye <laughs> i just watched it the other it. day did you really yeah oh gosh, it's so funny oh killian murphy so so good He's stupid hot stupid hot yeah oh man do you want to talk about the cops the cops Cops. So bumbling. So Barney Fifish present. It is the best. The absolute best. Like when the car runs out of gas, like I like I love how Wes Craven consistently has like stupid goofy cops in all of his (laughs) films. Yeah. I do wish that like I mean we get so we get two cops, the deputy and the Sheriff, I guess. I don't remember their names. Who cares? Yeah, glasses sure. and non-glasses. And then Deputy Harry. So Deputy Harry was friends with... Did you hear those trash noises? I was just moving. <laughs> the picture of the dad from Boy Meets World. From our, <laughs> from our unholy oh, episode to my trash. I was like, now's the time when I should do this. Uh, so the actor that plays Deputy Harry actually was up for the role of Krug. But he wanted the like more comedic role, so he was the one that recommended David Hess for that um, that part. And then he also got to do the music. And meanwhile, poor, poor Sandra um, Peabody. Sandra Peabody is like fucking traumatized for the rest of her dang life. Gosh, I mean, I the we yeah the two fumbling cops. One of them is like hot, masculine, and the other one is like fat. 
and glasses wearing. It has glasses, so, yeah. Um, automatically the bumbling one. But yeah, I love that everyone they encounter in town hates them uh, and is like flipping them off. No one wants to give them a ride. I love Ada that. Ada has their fucking number completely. I love that. So yeah, um, Ada is the only collector, character of color in this movie, the only person of color. She's a dark-skinned black woman that is missing teeth, and mm-hmm. she drives a truck with just, like, a lot of chickens on it. And um, she's very enterprising. She's like, if you want me to ditch my chickens, like, you owe me. Like, that's I don't have time for your shit. Um, <laughs> so, the, like, the really, like, kind of like perverted version of AVE that she uses. Mm-hmm. She's missing teeth. I mean, her real name is Ada. I don't know if this is like really how she presented, but like no matter what Ada's true characterization as a human person was, it was used like it was weaponized as a, against her. Yeah, yeah as like a really harmful damaging uh mammy stereotype for sure. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. But also, I mean, I don't it's kind of interesting because the viewer is definitely supposed to not like necessarily sympathize with Ada. She doesn't require our sympathy because she has her shit Chickens. handled. <laughs> but like you're definitely supposed to find affinity with her and like reject the cops. So it is it's not the most unkind treatment. And I feel like Wes Craven has ha- evolved with like Sometimes. Sometimes. I mean, People Under the Stairs is definitely, like, a positive evolution, but... It also has its problems. But it has its problems, but for this early in the, you know, in our consciousness, I mean, it's still pretty bad. I think I'm just trying to... Ganja and Hess came out, I mean, around this time, which is, like, a beautiful... Representation Man, I can't of we the. We decided we should talk about that. We, God, we, we are far, far too dumb for that. So stupid. But uh, I, I mean, do... I love Ada. You can't just like, like you can be angry and frustrated about the way that her selfhood was weaponized against her, but you can also, at the same time, be like, fuck grateful it, grateful to have a black woman on screen who you are supposed to, like you know, share an affinity with and sort of, like, share a joke with. You know what I mean? I don't know if that was his intention. I mean, I think it's funny. Yes, like, these cops running around trying to get a ride, no one give them a ride, is funny. But also, at the same time, the, like, community's rejection of the cops ultimately makes it possible for, like, the the killers to be murdered and not bring brought to, like, what our justice. American idea is of yeah. justice. Yeah, so, like, it's... Like a double-edged, like, yeah, it's funny. And I agree with the people who are flipping off the cops and with Ada rejecting them and, like, making a mockery of them. But at the same time, it, like, doesn't serve what we would think would be, like, the killers being brought to, and rapers being brought to justice. I don't know. Do you agree with, do you agree with John and Estelle? Like, I feel... Ow. Ow, I just hit my hand on the desk Your little hand. I don't know. I feel like putting, like, white men through the American justice system isn't as satisfying a conclusion as letting them be brutally murdered by the people they impacted the most, you know? Right. But, I mean, the cop showing up at the exact wrong moment of is also, like, what's the fate of John and Estelle? 
They're going to be prosecuted. I don't think so. <laughs> they he, a cop They're witnessed. white upper class people. That's true. They are They're white. The Maybe they'll get probation. They're the people that need to be doing this dirty work. Like, yeah, like you are the people that <laughs> you need to be stamping psychos out <laughs> so that like, you know, marginalized people are safe from their bullshit. And, you know, you need to u- utilize your privilege to kill Krug and the gang. I, ag- I agree with their choices. Uh, but we're still characterizing poor people as bad people and rich upper upper middle class because there was still that in the 70s. White people as yeah, good. Sure. Um, I don't think that I don't like I see John and Estelle as aberrations, like definitely unusual characters because... Normally, you would think they would be like, oh, John, we have to call the authorities. But then they, like, absolutely go berserker mode. Do I feel like that makes them, like, worthy and, like, forgivable for their classism and probably their racism? We don't know. And, like, all the, like, privileges and blind spots they experience walking through life as upper middle class white people? No, I just, I don't know. You just like. I think maybe we're talking about this more than it like needs. <laughs> I mean, I yeah, I don't think like, that he had any great. But I feel like ideas of what to say. This is an but... example of like where like not an example, but it's like yeah, I feel like I'm choosing to view this as white people weaponizing their privilege against like systemic, not systemic inequity, but like evil, you know. <laughs> Yeah, I just think, uh, as usual, the audience sees what it wants to see. We take it away as, like, fuck the cops, the cops are stupid, let's laugh at them. But who knows what Craven's intention was. Yeah, I think he, like, has a, hopefully had a, like, mistrust of police, but, yeah, we can't forget about Dewey, who is a hero. Dewey was never a cop at heart, you know? God, remember how terrible Scream 5 was? I'm still mad it was about pretty it. pretty bad. I Fucking know a lot of people pissed. really like it. I'm sorry Hate. if you really liked it, but did we come this far just to murder Dewey for no reason? I fucking hated it. It was... Spoily um, alert. Bad. And I feel like... I already, like, forgot every character in Scream 5 and who Ghostface ended up being. Yeah, it's so un... <laughs> It's so forgettable, so uninspired. Um, and yeah, it was like the first one without Craven, and they did a really terrible job. Anyway. Well, uh, I hope they stop. They made it seem like it. they were going to stop, but you never know. You know what I mean? I think they're doing more. I just, I feel like I just saw something about Nev Campbell signing up for Scream 6. Like, just fucking this knock is a it real off already. Goose for her, though. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. What else is Nev Campbell up to? Can you imagine her paychecks for these movies? Oh my god, astronomical. I mean, good for her. Emphasis on the ass, am I right? But, uh... <laughs> I don't know All right, what, what else, else you to got? say. I, oh, here, um, I have some trivia. You ready? Give it to me. Okay. Jeremy Rain, a.k.a. Sadie, in an interview in 2009, <laughs> Rain said she once played Manson Family member oh, susan yeah. atkins on stage 
And she also remarked that she was once picked up hitchhiking by Tex Watson and Charles Manson, stayed in their van after her friends were dropped off, and that they later showed up to hang out at her aunt's house. So she may have narrowly escaped joining or being murdered by the Manson family, only to go on to play Susan Atkins. Wasn't Sadie the name of a Manson family member? Is that just like a That's what they used to call her. Yeah, it was Sadie. Sadie's soft lips or something like that and that wasn't it but something like that yeah i feel like is kind of like the name for a freak leak isn't it sadie sadie um (laughs) sometime this shit this movie was depraved yeah it's really depraved uh and difficult to watch i yeah the part when they're like yeah when they're making uh mary and phyllis have sex with each other i w- cried like it's so it's so tragic yeah it's tragic it's so sad yeah when like i cried when mary's getting raped at the end it's like it's That's really awful. difficult it's yeah. a, a difficult movie to watch and i'd only ever seen it once before this so i feel like it's definitely difficult but i think like, for me, it's worth the watch because it's so foundational to so many horror movies that we know and love today. And it like is Like your favorites. Like, the Devil's Devil Reject. Devil's... Ugh, you're not wrong. What is wrong with me? Why am I obsessed with Rob Zombie? I, I can't wait to watch his Munsters. I'm so pumped. Uh, yeah, I don't love Rob Zombie as much as... You do. I don't know why. Like, I, someone was like, why do you love Rob Zombie? I can't explain it to you. You know what I mean? Yeah. Why do fish breathe water? <laughs> <laughs> why don't they breathe air? Who knows? Why no air breathe fish? I don't know. Something's wrong with me. It's, yeah. Something's we wrong with you, too. <laughs> Something's definitely wrong with me. It's true. <laughs> Uh, oh man so next week we're talking about something i think (laughs) definitely talking about about something yeah who knows gotta be something i'm gonna tell y'all hot diggity dog it's gonna be unfriended again just kidding (laughs) (laughs) oh train to busan that's a good one. Oh my god i love that movie so much this is a good lineup and then arachnophobia because guess who has a crush on jeff daniels obviously me i don't know what an older an old stranger (laughs) jowl having white man what like is what is the origin with jeff daniels i now i have to look it up and find out (laughs) i couldn't tell you couldn't uh, tell me. Yeah, Train to not, Busan. Is so not good. Dumb and Dumber. <laughs> Are you sure? Is it? Um, it could be. <laughs> I feel like. What else was he in? I don't know. Stuff. I don't know. It had to be something like super foundational for me that just got stuck in the back of my brain somewhere. That's how I feel about Patrick Swayze. Oh my god. Um, speaking of childhood crushes, did you see Matthew Lawrence is getting divorced? <gasps> well, uh, now he's ready for one of us. Who is he married to? 101 Dalmatians. Uh, no? Someone? 101 Dalmatians, absolutely, and also I'm pretty sure Speed. <gasps> Speed! Of course! Yes. Oh my god, I love Speed so I just watched it the other day. The other day, like yeah. a month and a half ago, but oh man. 
Adam but and I see, watched it recently on cable, and we probably at any point could have switched to a streaming service, but sometimes I like watching movies on cable. Like, <laughs> now there's a commercial. Being, I can look at my phone. I can yeah. look at my phone. It reminds me of being young. Yeah, God. But it was, yeah, Speed is Keanu Reeves with a close cut, like, shave. Ooh, in like a Kevlar so vest. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. Mm-hmm. He's so hot in that movie. Yeah. yeah. It is um so unrealistic. So <laughs> unrealistic. And they're also the, the fucking I want to say Rucker Hauer, but I feel like that's not No, hard. it's Dennis Hopper. Oh, Dennis Hopper's scary. So yes. sinister. But that's also sinister. propaganda. The 90s were all about fucking propaganda. I know. Disgusting. But it's also speed, like... Oh my god. You know, when he's like, like is- in his flannel shirt, like after he gets coffee and he's like running towards the bus that's on fire, it's like <sighs> so good. I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, and the bus passengers, diverse group of people. True. Oh, they Alan do Ruff criminalize it, I- they criminalize um the brown men people. and the yeah. the Latino who sure. has a gun. Uh but they also make fun of the white tourist guy. So, you know. Sam, the bus oh, driver. Yeah. Oh my god! And remember the ja- the guy in the Jaguar. <laughs> oh, like I remember being like, just explain it to him. God. <laughs> just tell him what's going on, Keanu. Yeah, Jesus. Like, okay, well, this is not a podcast about speed. Well, it <laughs> should <would> be. <laughs> Who wants us to dissect speed frame by frame over the next oh year? Oh my god! I absolutely <laughs> will do that. Okay, what would you like to fuck this week? Let's say, um, let's just fuck that old Stanley Kubrick, apparently Wes Craven, trope of not trusting female actors to, like, you know, do their job correctly so you feel like you have to traumatize them to get what you need out of them. Fuck that, yeah. Uh, Fuck that. Fuck uh, only showing... Uh, BIPOCs in movies as stereotypes. Um, yes. Regardless. Fuck classism. Fuck classism, man. Fuck uh, criminalizing uh, drug addiction and like. And poorness. And poorness. Yeah. I guess uh, poverty is a word that no, I should No, poorness. Nope. <laughs> poorness. 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 Yeah. Poorness because. Uh, and fuck Chesty Morgan in a nice way. In a nice way. Chesty, wherever you are, I believe I love she's you. in Florida. I will report on no, the tweet yeah. I found. <laughs> Tampa uh, Bay. We, yeah, Tampa Bay is blessed with Chesty so, Morgan's uh, presence. So, here we go. Someone, I looks like in her retirement community, um... Lillian Stello, this is Jeff Klinkenberg. Jeff Klinkenberg is the author of the essay collection Son of Real Florida, and he won a Florida Humanities Council Lifetime Achievement Award in 2018. He tweets, Lillian Stello, a.k.a. Chesty Morgan, baked me a lemon cake to celebrate alligators in B-flat. She's in the book. Uh, So there you have it. Chesty Morgan baking lemon cakes in Florida. (laughs) She can murder men with her uh, breasts and bake lemon cakes. So, I mean, what more could you um, want? Still quite chesty. Uh, I don't know how her back feels, but, I mean, she's doing well enough 
uh, to bake lemon cakes in the kitchen. So good for you, Chesty. Doing it up. Uh, and with that, you can find us at Spooky Succubus underscore cast on Instagram. That links to all of our shits, including our website, email, and Patreon. Uh, and if you please, stay ugly. And get fucked. Bye. Bye. Ha <laughs> ha.